Welcome to the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast, your source for all things Catholic in the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma. I have talked before about the image of the of a monastery and many monasteries after the monks pray Compline, the last prayer of the day, the last part of the liturgy of the hours. The abbot goes and stands at the head of the of the choir stalls where the monks sit with an aspergillium, a holy water bucket and a, a holy water wand. And the monks each come and, and bow in front of him and he sprinkles him with holy water and then they're off to bed. Mm-hmm. And so as a family, the monastery has the father of the family offer this final blessing of the day and off to bed they go. Uh, so some something simple, you know, right. something like that. Um, kids typically have a set bedtime. Okay, so before they go to bed, here's a kiss and God bless you and off to bed they go. Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condorla. I'm Adam Minahan. It's great to have you guys join us again. We have a lot of things going on in the diocese. We have uh, a lot of things happening on Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcasts, a new podcast coming out, uh, Forming Our Faith with Deacon Kevin, Deacon Kevin Malarkey from uh, uh, St. Anne's in Broken Arrow has started a podcast called Forming Our Faith. That you, Highly recommend it. Yes, that you can uh, find on Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcasts and also, this is just kind of the time of year in which there's like two times of the year where there's a lot of retreats or, uh, you know, three-day retreats that are happening in parishes, right? You know, kind of right before Advent, and then there's one right before during Lent, mm-hmm. the Lenten time. And uh, right now, we're, there's a lot of, uh, you know, different talks that are being given throughout parishes, and we're doing our best to capture those and then post them on Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcasts, so that way those who aren't there get a chance to listen to them. And as a, an idea we've mentioned before to people, uh, you know, most of these are videos, but you can simply listen to them without watching the video mm-hmm. in the car. That's right. So, you know, for many people, um, you're busy, 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 but you're spending a lot of time in the car driving here and there. Mm-hmm. And these are the kinds of things. I, I listen to lots of podcasts in the car. Right. Yeah, it's a great actually way to not only learn a little bit, little bit about your faith, but you know, just kind of sanctify your drive. Right. Um, you know, w- right. whether it's praying the rosary or listening to a good podcast, uh, Father Mike Schmitz with his Bible in the Year or Catechism in the Year is another great one. Because then you curse less. <laughs> That's right. When they cut you off, you don't you don't have to go to confession near as much. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, another thing that we do in the in the communications department is uh, we provide. The Eastern Oklahoma Catholic, which is the EOC, it is an opportunity. It, it's a it's a magazine, and it's an opportunity for you to share kind of your thoughts, um, you know, eight to ten times a year when we have the magazine. But then also just things that are happening within the diocese. You uh, sent me some a, a comment from somebody again, right? Somebody yes had uh, found it in a. Where did they find it? Yes. So we recently had a guy who called me up from uh, Glenpool. He found uh, our EOC in the Glenpool grocery store. Uh-huh. Um, and he had never, he, he was uh, a 
a Protestant, but he'd only had interactions with Catholics like once in his life. Mm -hmm. And he said, actually, I think he said a couple times, but very, very rarely. And he said the ones that he had interactions with were not pro-life. And so he thought that Catholics just weren't pro-life. Uh-huh. You know, and so then he picks up this EOC magazine that was at the grocery store, started looking through it, and we have some pro-life articles in there. And he goes, wait a minute. I didn't know that Catholics were pro-life. Right. And so he called me up and thanked, you know, thanked us for our pro-life stance. Uh, and I'm meeting and have coffee with him soon to talk more about the Catholic faith and what we actually believe. And yeah. um, it was really cool. It was really cool. I remember once we did a funeral in a parish that I was assigned in. <laughs> my second assignment, I was only there nine months. Um, wasn't my fault. And, uh, <laughs> but um, we had an older couple in the parish. They were in their late 70s, I'm sure. She was Catholic. He was not. He was becoming Catholic to marry her. Mm. Well, he was becoming Catholic because they were getting married. And his family was, I, I don't remember now exactly what, what branch he was coming from, but they were really, really anti-Catholic, at least some of the family. Mm-hmm. And this gentleman, after the couple, after he became Catholic and the couple married, a year or so later, he died, and we had the funeral at the parish, and they came. At first, they weren't even going to come, but the family came, hmm. and they sat through the funeral mass just looking angry and <laughs> just put out to be there at all. And then after the funeral was over, as we were looking through the church, cleaning things up and whatever, we noticed chick publications in the missalette rack mm. and in the bathrooms even. Mm. And for anyone who doesn't know, chick was a publishing, I don't know if they still exist or not, but it was an outfit that published comic book style anti-Catholic tracts mm-hmm. uh, as a means to try to uh, tell people that Catholics aren't real Christians or Catholics will go to hell or all these kinds of things. <laughs> thought, Boy, that was that was really bizarre. So yeah. Anytime we can live our faith in public, anytime we can put something out into the public, online, wherever, that truly represents the faith is good because people have misconceptions. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things, uh, you know, about the EOC is that we want to we want to put it into everybody's home who's Catholic, you know, free of charge. So if you don't get the EOC, you can, you can reach out to me, Adam Minan. Uh, you can call us up for, for, at the Chancery. We're happy to send you one free a subscription. And if you if you do get and appreciate the EOC, you might consider making a gift to the communications department to help us to. Uh, expand so mm-hmm. that we can get it into more people's, get it in front of more people's eyes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because my goal is to uh, to have everybody in eastern Oklahoma receive one of those magazines. Like, whether they're, because we want everybody to be Catholic anyway. Sure. So everybody in the eastern Oklahoma, we want to be Catholic. So we want to give that magazine out to everybody. Yeah, and it's not us. God is the one who's inviting. So That's right. That's, That's right. Um, and one of the things in the EOC uh, is the first page is an English and Spanish edition of, of, of a letter kind of the, or a, a maybe an article that you yeah. that you put out um, each time. And one upcoming, you were writing about 
living the life in the domestic church. And I thought like, I, I, as I read, I was like, man, this is such a great article. We should maybe talk about it on the show. Well, more and more as we uh, continue to look at our religious education programs, our sacramental preparation programs, and as we consider life in the very rural parts of, of our diocese, and as well as even in the very large parishes, uh, it, it becomes clearer and clearer to me that it is so important for the family to, to, take, its, um, to take seriously its identity and its responsibility to catechize and to educate the children. And uh, one of the terms that is used when this was all introduced, this idea was introduced even way back in the Second Vatican Council, in the document Lumen Gentium of the Second Vatican Council, they use the term, uh, for those reading along with us, <laughs> but uh, if, you, if you look up the Second Vatican Council document, Lumen Gentium, which is in English, light of the world, uh, in paragraph 11, you find a discussion of how the church through the sacraments uh, makes people a part of God's um, ecclesia church. And then you find this, this uh, final paragraph. Finally, Christian spouses, in virtue of the sacrament of matrimony, in virtue of the sacrament of matrimony, the sacrament, this is one of the effects of the sacrament of matrimony, in virtue of the sacrament of matrimony, whereby they signify and partake of the mystery of that unity and fruitful love which exists between Christ and his church. So it's so important for spouses to take seriously their dignity mm. as people who God is using as signs of that unity that exists between Jesus Christ and his body, the church. That's what God wants to do with spouses. Hmm. Um, you know, in my mind, that's something that uh, goes so much beyond just the wedding and so much beyond the civil effects of marriage and even the social effects of marriage. There is a spiritual mystery at work in the midst of it. Um, these Christian spouses help each other attain to holiness in their married life and in the rearing and education of their children. By reason of their state and rank in life, they have, they have their own special gift among the people of God. From the wedlock of Christians, there comes the family, in which new citizens of human society are born, who by the grace of the Holy Spirit received in baptism are made children of God, thus perpetuating the people of God through the centuries. Now, here's the key line. The family is, so to speak, the domestic church. In it, parents should, by their word and example, be the first preachers of the faith to their children. They should encourage them in the vocation which is proper to each of them, fostering with special care vocation to a sacred state. And... Uh, Fortified by so many and such powerful means of salvation, all the faithful 
whatever their condition or state, are called by the Lord, each in his own way, to that perfect holiness whereby the Father himself is perfect. So in this article, what we were doing was uh, taking off from that uh, phrase and that image of the family as the domestic church and trying to fill it out a bit, you could say. What does it look like? Yeah, what does it mean? Practically, how do we apply this? Because it would be natural and certainly understandable if a young couple, newly married, wanting to have children, wanting to raise a family, mm -hmm. but in the midst of having children, in the midst of trying to balance jobs and uh, expenses of home and, and family life and raising children and all of those things, if they lost sight of their own particular dignity as people God is using to be a sign of his union with the church in the world, and began to let the church, the parish, and or the school or the RE program take on the, the burden or the duty mm -hmm. of educating the children. So they're thinking about, uh, you know, I can't wait till my kids are old enough to go to the school or old enough to go to the RE program. And they're, they're looking forward to those days when they will get involved with the school and whatever. But if that's the case, then they're missing out on the opportunities along the way. And then secondly, uh, I was thinking in terms of the home itself, the actual physical structure of the home. Mm -hmm. A Catholic home, to my mind, a Catholic home ought to look different mm -hmm. in the very same way that a Catholic church obviously looks different than even a non-Catholic church, let alone a secular building. A Catholic home ought to have a distinctive look and a distinctive feel. Uh, and so those are some of the things we were talking about in the article. Uh, for example, a Catholic home certainly ought to have crucifixes in it. It ought to have uh, images of holy people, saints, and so forth. Mm -hmm. a, a Catholic couple might consider very seriously, uh, if, if a Catholic couple does consider very seriously, okay, from the birth, <laughs> from birth, how are we going to help these children to have the best chance of becoming saints? And the only way that's going to be able to happen is if the parents themselves feel like they could do that, mm. both meaning they have permission, mm -hmm. somehow authorized by what? I don't know, the universe. Um, so, A, they have permission. Lumen Gentium says, by virtue of their marriage, mm -hmm. they have permission, they are authorized. And B, that they know how. Now, that's the part that I suspect, which is the reason why we talk so much about whole family catechesis, and it's so important for us to, to promote the idea of whole family catechesis. I suspect that in a natural sense of, of humility, Parents look at one another and say, look, we're not theologians here, huh? Right. Um, I'm working <laughs> 10 hours a day. We're exhausted by the time we get home. How are we going to do this? Where are we going to do this? Imagining too big. They're, they're thinking mm -hmm. too big. 
and so we were trying to suggest practical means and practical things. One, again, is the decor of the home, the layout of the home. In most homes, in the home I grew up in, certainly, uh, the TV, if you walk it, okay, let's say I get ahead of myself. Yeah. <laughs> if you walk into a properly designed Catholic church, even if you've never been in one, right, you're going to know that table up front there is significant mm -hmm. because look where it is. All the seats are facing it. Uh, look how it's built. It's it's prominent. It's beautiful. It's obviously had a lot of effort and expense put into it and so forth. Uh, that's what proper liturgical space ought to accomplish. Similarly, in the home, if someone walks into our homes, um, what would they gather is the central focal point of the home. Mm -hmm. And... We're, we're saying in the article, we're asking people to think. It's not so much a critique as it is simply asking people to dream. To, If you're taking seriously these gifts that God is giving, dream a little bit about what might be possible. Is the TV the focal point of the home? If it is, should it be? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that a family can't spend time watching TV. That can even be a beautiful thing. Um, you know, there are, there are so many movies that are truly moving and worth uh, a family spending time with, watching, even discussing, mm -hmm. praying over. Um, so certainly you want to have such a tool in your home to help you do those things. But should it be the focal point? Right. Couldn't it be, uh, wouldn't it be possible that the family could build some kind of an altar or have some kind of a holy image. Nowadays, you know, we have these flat screen uh, TVs. They basically look like a picture on the wall. Mm -hmm. Couldn't you put an actual picture, holy pictures of right. some kind on the wall as the focal point? That's where all the, the chairs and so forth are pointed to. There can be a TV, but maybe it's hidden in some fashion or it's at least demoted, mm -hmm. you know, in some form. Um, that begins to train the family and to train anybody who comes into the family's home about what's really matters, you know, what's really important here. Uh, so it doesn't take a theology degree. It does take parents who consider themselves to never be finished uh, with learning the faith. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk a lot about in the coming years is the, the problematic theology, we could say, the, the, the theology that has developed around uh, the way we celebrate the, the sacrament of confirmation, in which many people come to view it as the sacrament of maturity, the sacrament of choice, and the sacrament of I'm finished. Yeah, the graduation. The graduation ceremony. Yeah. Uh, so much so that one question that gets asked in parishes is, if we did confirmation differently, if we did confirmation at an earlier age, how would we keep them coming? How would we get the young people to still come? We should examine that question first. First, let's stop and look at what we're saying with the question. Right. Uh, apart from the fact that the church does not see confirmation as the sacrament of choice, of maturity, and so forth, those are aspects of it, but not the main um, 
purpose of it, which is the perfection of baptism. Um, but apart from that, we're saying that we only we can only get these young people to come because we're holding over their head right a sacrament this, this sacrament that somehow they feel coerced to have to receive. Well, <laughs> that's not a, that's not a very positive image. No, and it also presupposes that they um, are actually going to wait to receive that sacrament. Right, right, right. Which is like, is that actually the case? Yeah, and so so the point being that um, parents don't have to have a theology degree. They they do need to consider themselves in need of ongoing formation, and the best way to do that is ongoing formation with other parents, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, yes, it means having to find time and prioritize time to, to small group kinds of activities and making these things happen, but those are the kinds of things that will cause them to have a wider circle of people mm -hmm. who they're close to, uh, who they enjoy growing in the faith with, mm -hmm. And as that's happening, they find themselves knowing uh, more and more things that they can talk to their kids about and more and more ways uh, to talk to the kids about the faith. The, the most important indicator of whether a child is going to continue to grow in their faith or not is do the parents, mm -hmm. do they continue to grow in their faith and do they share that growth, you know, with the child? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like it. Uh, what you said about how we don't have to think too big, right? Like it, it can be little things like almost like effortless, mm -hmm. right? But it's just intentional, mm -hmm. right? So for instance, um, one thing my, my father always did, like he, he worked uh, long hours, just like you were talking about like 10 hour days, 12 hour days. He's working, you know, the mom is exhausted and doing all the laundry and everything else. And the house is, you know, chaotic. Kids are running around everywhere. Dad comes home. And the first thing he does before he uh, greets the kids, before he does anything else, is walks over to my mom and gives her a kiss. Mm -hmm. Now, that's like something very, very small, right? That's not a big deal. That's not like a, 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 this heroic uh, effort or Herculean effort to do, right? But what it did was as a child, like I didn't realize this at the time, mm -hmm. but it, it said, oh, dad loves mom. And mom loves dad. Mm -hmm. And it like reinforced that mom and dad are are, are united and, and love one another. Yeah. They didn't say anything to it. You know, it wasn't like they had to sit down and say like, mom and dad love each other. This is why we're married. But it just was a physical action that showed like mom and dad love each other. Right. So that's just like one thing that's very, st that, that stabilizes the home, that, that shows your kids that you love one another. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't take a lot of effort. Right. So I love these ideas of like, you don't have to think of everybody levitating while we're praying the rosary and, you know, saying Latin, you know, but but that like, oh, well, maybe the first thing you see in the living room isn't necessarily the TV. Um, like, do we make intentional times, you know, at the dinner table? This is one of the things that you, you mentioned at in the article is, is yeah, the so importance we, of meals. We put five things in the article, not because there's only five things. Sure, right. But because they were sort of... Uh, top of mind, easy things, you know, to do. And uh, I guess the first one we're talking about meals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you're talking about the importance of sitting down and eating meals together. Yeah, and, and I think just in general, I think lots of families recognize that 
the older the family gets and as the kids get older and as they get licenses and jobs and now they're driving cars and they're gone and so forth, it becomes harder and harder to have opportunities where everybody sits around the table for a meal. But that's such an intimate and important part of a family's inner life is this sharing of the meal. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate the Eucharist so mm. assiduously in the church. The parish family gathers around the altar to share this particular meal in which Christ gives us his flesh and blood to eat for the salvation of the world. In the home, to have occasions, and it may not even be every night. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes with family life getting so chaotic, um, it may not be possible for it to be every night, but for some regular uh, opportunity in which everyone comes together to share a meal and in which we pray together before and after the meal. Now, that can also be done, of course, in, in the restaurant sure. or in somebody else's house. Anywhere we go, we can uh, say a prayer before or after meals. Again, it's a very simple thing, but look at what its absence would signify. Mm -hmm. See, so uh, that's one way to think of it is that its presence and even letting the kids lead it mm -hmm. uh, helps it, but its presence helps us to remember that we're constantly in God's uh, presence and constantly in God's debt. We thank him for what we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like uh, it, it, just being intentional. Like sometimes you have to guard your calendar, right? And to, where, to the point of saying like, okay, yes, I would like to do this on Sunday, or maybe this would be a good opportunity, but we block off Sunday evening to have dinner together as a family. Right, right. Or, you know, or like you just have need to pick a day and say guard that that time yeah. and say this is important. And even though there's going to be a lot of other great things to do, right? This is what we should do as a family together. And it is a challenge. And I'm not suggesting I, as a celibate male, right? I, I'm not suggesting at all that this is easy. But what I'm suggesting is that it's worth a, a husband and a wife reflecting on it and taking it seriously and thinking it through. Uh, if all the other activities of the family are planned first, and what we do about religion, about prayer, about uh, forming the family as the domestic church and so forth, if that's left to last, isn't that in itself a lesson? Mm. On the other hand, if we planned some parts of that domestic church agenda first, and then everything else had to fit around that, that would be, mm -hmm. again, a powerful sign, a powerful uh, teaching, right, mm -hmm. for the children. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of it just has to do with that, you know, what do we want to set first? Yeah. Right. Now, uh, another thing you, you talked about is morning and evening prayer. Sometimes I think mm -hmm. this is uh, uh, some, somewhat intimidating, right? If you have, if you're not in the habit of praying together as a family, uh, especially as a father or you know as a mother, if you're trying to to lead the family in prayer, maybe you don't know exactly what to say, or you kind of feel awkward, and then you don't want the awkwardness, you know, the kids to pick up on that awkwardness, or you know, like there's some things that, that well, there's been tension in the morning because. <laughs> So I'm not getting her shoes on, you know, <laughs> you know? right. And, uh, and I'm, I'm tired and, you know, so, 
Um, what do you what do you suggest to, to to families like to maybe start or like how to start? One morning we all got up, uh, and I think this would have been during the period when my mom was working a night shift after she had had twelve children. Mm-hmm. She went back to work as a nurse. In her first year back, she was working a night shift. Wow! And um, one morning we all got up and we all got ready for school and we made our sandwiches and we had the breakfast going and then somebody looked at a clock and said why are we up at 2 30 in the morning <laughs> you guys all woke up at 2 30 dad got us up he woke up and he thought it was time to get up and he got us all up and we started we just did everything else automatically until somebody saw a clock and he said oh my goodness so go back to that. <laughs> so i fully understand the chaos that that is a normal part of family life. But again, we don't want to overthink this. Right. Something as simple as uh, when everyone's ready or before everyone heads out the door, a quick moment to say, God, thank you for this day. Bless and watch over us. Keep us safe. Let us come back together in love in the evening. Something as simple as that um, would be worthy. Would, you know, for everyone to know that we're not. We usually don't leave the house until we've had a little prayer together, a mm-hmm. little huddle. Mm-hmm. And a similar, some kind of a thing like that uh, in the evening, I, I have talked before about the image of, the, of a monastery. In many monasteries, after the monks pray Compline, the last prayer of the day, the last part of the Liturgy of the Hours, the abbot goes and stands at the head of the, of the choir stalls where the monks sit, with an aspergillium, a holy water bucket and a, a holy water wand. And the monks each come and, and bow in front of him, and he sprinkles him with holy water, and then they're off to bed. Mm-hmm. And so as a family, the monastery has the father of the family offer this final blessing of the day, and off to bed they go. Uh, so some something simple, you know, right. something like that. Um, kids typically have a set bedtime. Okay, so before they go to bed, here's a kiss and God bless you, and off to bed they go. Yeah, 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 yeah and oh, uh, th- that actually bleeds into the next top uh, thing you said. It was basically kind of like the use of sacramentals within the home, mm-hmm. right? You know, the use of holy water, um, having a holy water font, kind of in either in the uh, at the very front of your home or uh, right. at the entrance of your home, so that way you can. Uh, your kids can bless. Now, I'll, I'll give you a um, something that I learned because we do this. We have one at, at, in the front of our home. Um, however, a, a tip for you is that when you get one, when you get a font, font that you want to put like in the front of your home, you want to try to get a, a small top end and it goes as deep as possible because if it's wide, mm-hmm. the water evaporates so fast that you have to basically refill right. it all the time. So like if you can find one that's small on like uh, at the very top, the diameter, and it's deeper at the bottom, it won't evaporate as fast. What you've just described is a water bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I use in my chapel in the bishop's house. Oh, really? I actually have a water bottle that has a small hole drilled in the top of it, uh-huh. uh, maybe about an eighth inch or, or smaller diameter, maybe sixteenth of an inch diameter hole. And all I have to do is grab the bottle and turn it over, and a little hole, little water comes out on my fingers. Right. And then I just stand it back up. 
And that way it doesn't evaporate at all. It lasts for months. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a lot of beautiful ones and like I wanted to, you know, we wanted to beautify our home and, and make it all pretty. And so we did it. And then I realized I, I, I can't fill this up every single day almost, you yeah. know. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. But the point is taken that uh, sacramentals, I think we talked about a rosary rack. I've seen families that have a little rack attached to the wall somewhere and there's everybody has their own individual rosary and so there's all these different colored and types of rosaries and after dinner for example they'll simply say a decade of the rosary together sitting at the table mm -hmm. uh, so everybody goes to the rack and gets their little rosary it takes three minutes to say a decade of the rosary right it's just 10 hail marys and an our father get the little kids to lead it. Mm -hmm. they, they have fun with it. And again, it's a way to add uh, prayer, to add use of the sacramentals. Um, people wear medals, you know, they, they um, have holy uh, cards, holy angels, and mm -hmm. so forth. Uh, but then also this holy water. We were talking about the holy water stoop, and, and uh, typically someone has one of those at their front door so people can bless themselves as they go and they come. Well, children who grow up with such a thing, it becomes customary for them. Oh, yeah. And then that becomes something that's very helpful to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it gets so customary, like, you know, when you genuflect it, at, you know, going into your pew at mass, like you go to a movie theater and you see, what, look at your kids, all of a sudden they're genuflecting before they go into the <laughs> into their seats because they're just used to doing that. Um, That's funny. But, but yeah, so I, I, no, I agree. One of the things that we found uh, with our little boys whenever they were younger is we utilized one of those big wall rosaries. You've seen those mm -hmm. before, like one of the big ones that has uh, that people hang up on their wall and it's, it, it's just a really big rosary. Mm -hmm. And we said, whoever's leading the decade gets to hold the big rosary. <laughs> and so, like, that just gives them something else that they get to say, like, this is to you know, fight over. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically, to fight. my turn <laughs> pulling on it and stuff. It, luckily, it's metal chain, so they're not going to break it. Uh, but but that's just something else to incorporate, saying, like, the leader gets to use the big rosary, you know, and it's just making right. it a, a, a thing, you know. Right. Um, they get to wear the sorting hat. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, like, I think, like, Having a place in the home that, that is a, a sacred spot mm -hmm. is very important to where what ends up happening is you, you realize that, yes, your family comes together to pray there, mm -hmm. but you're also training your children, like, if you want to pray, mm -hmm. this is the spot you can do it. And it's so beautiful uh, when you're maybe frustrated or, you're, you, you know, you, you had a rough day and, like, you, you're, you're wondering, like, am, am I even doing Am I doing it well? Like, am I doing this whole parenting thing well? And you kind of walk by and all of a sudden in the corner of your eye, you see your kid and he's he or she's kneeling down, praying in that little sacred spot that you've made for your family. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it almost brings tears to your eyes sure. because it's just those little affirmations of like, okay, it is working. I know that when I was pastor at A&M, uh, often I would be sitting at my breakfast table at seven in the morning. And out the window, I can see across the street to the door leading into our uh, Eucharistic Adoration Chapel. And there's Aggie students, 20 or 30 Aggie students lining up there right before 7 a.m., waiting for the guy to come and open the door. 
And that was always very moving to me to see mm -hmm. uh, these guys and gals, you know, on their way to classes and whatever, but they want to stop by and pray. And I thought, yeah. Uh, another, the, the last one you talk about is like having communal aspects. And one of the things when I read that, I, I thought it was really great. This is something that I heard from uh, Dr. Scott Hahn. He was talking about the importance of uh, the, the, the P word together as a family, you know, and everybody thought, oh, he's going to say pray, you know, to pray together as a family. And he said, play, mm. you know, and he said like, yes, of course we want to teach our kids to pray, mm -hmm. you know, and to pray together. But you can't just be we're not monks here. You know, this is the, our state in life. We're not here to just be praying all day long. Right. We need to play together as a family. You yeah. And I think that's so important, right? Because like Sundays are a day of rest. You know, it's a day of leisure. So we have to, you know, do leisurely things together yeah. and teach them what it really means to to play. Yeah. Yeah. It was always fun when I was a kid. Of course, it was always fun to play with our friends in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But it was even more fun when our friends' parents came over. Right. Uh, either people who lived elsewhere in town and they would drive up and their kids would get out of the car. And now we're all playing and the parents are visiting in the house. Or uh, at parish functions where small groups of families get together and the kids are all running around and so forth. Um, those things are very important, I think, both for the parents and the children to be part of a smaller community. So we have the small community of the family, but also that family makes up one unit of a smaller community of families. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the wider parish. Uh, but yeah, the church is built communally because God intends us to live communally. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, any last thoughts that you want to you touch base on with, with the domestic church? And Yes. And I would, I would, I would say this as a final thought. Um, in a way, you could, you could say it's kind of a caution in a way. Um, it would be very important that parents listening to this don't go away from this and say, oh, we don't do any of that, and what terrible right. parents are we or something. I would say think of these kinds of things like you think of chocolate cake. Uh, I happen to love chocolate cake, so if I... Uh, if there's an opportunity to eat chocolate cake and I miss it for some reason, I'm going to feel sad about missing it because it's so good, but I'm not going to beat myself up about the fact that I missed it. And similarly with these things, for parents to take seriously and to think about and to talk about together, what could we do? Uh, let's be creative and inventive knowing that God loves us. Mm -hmm. If we don't do anything, God loves us. And knowing that God does love us as, as a way to uh, ourselves participate in his love, bask in his love, enjoy his love, what could we do that our children might enjoy, that we could do together as a family that would help us to live more and more as a domestic church? And for... Um, Young adults who may be within a few years of being married, let alone for couples and for engaged couples, begin to have these conversations already, you know, mm. begin to think about and dream about, wow, what could we do uh, when we start to have children? What, could, what are the kinds of um, liturgical and prayerful 
uh, customs that we want to build into our life as a family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also want to, you know, give a shout out to to grandparents, right? Um, if you don't have the opportunity, you, you haven't maybe done this, uh, raising your children, grandparents are uh, very influential on, on on the family in general, right? And so, like, if you didn't get a chance to do some of these things, talk with you, with, with your spouse and see whenever you are with your grandchildren, mm -hmm. opportunities in which you can um do some of these things and sometimes people don't have grandparents for various reasons so i would say to broaden the the idea of grandparents to those older mentors mm -hmm. and so if there aren't any actual grandparents around within the parish or within your circle of friends maybe there are people who nonetheless would have already raised children or be in the latter years of raising children with whom you could nonetheless form a relationship similar to the kind you would have with grandparents, people who can help you both with advice and so forth, but also even physically helping you to watch over the kids. Maybe they can uh, help you go on outings together or those kinds of things. Yeah. So if you haven't, uh, make sure you pick up your EOC and uh, it'll be in your mailbox here pretty soon, but you can uh, check out Bishop's article along with about uh, well, I guess that's about 30 other pages of things that we have going on in there. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't have an EOC, be sure to reach out to us. You can call the Chancery and just ask for Adam Minahan. I'm happy to send you one. Um, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>